Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Tech Talk. I'm very happy today to join with me, John Dominic of Maxiva. John Dominic is the global vice president of Maxiva. His US headquarters are based in Philadelphia. John, I am very happy to meet with you today. I know Maxiva, their primary focus is high availability and monitoring solutions for IBMI. And I know you, do, you work with partners and clients all over the globe. I hope that we can have a great discussion today on cloud because this is a discussion or a topic, I should say, that comes up in many, in many discussions. And depending on who I'm speaking with, I think the term itself is a bit of a mystery or it has different meanings depending on who we're speaking with. So first of all, John, welcome. Welcome to the, our podcast. Yeah, Charlie, glad to be here. Thanks. John, I'd like to, um, I do want to start our conversation with that, what I just said about cloud, because it's, it's, a, it's a bit of an elusive term in that it has so many different definitions depending on who I'm speaking with. So why don't you start, that, and that's a very good jumping off point. Why don't we start with that? What is cloud as, from where you sit, as you see it? Yeah, that's a that's a good question, and it is really tricky. I think every conversation we have, cloud means what it means to a particular partner or client. So, as an example, from an HA standpoint, we obviously get involved pretty heavily with the, the disaster recovery, you know, elements of the cloud or, or data backup. Um, we get involved with migrating people to cloud, whether it's a hybrid cloud or, or multi-cloud environment. Um, but the reality is it can mean so many things to so many different people. Um, you know, infrastructure as a service gives them a landing platform. We have customers that use it as more of a turnkey platform as a service. Customers use it just for development partitions. They spin things up for special projects. So it, it's a challenge. I mean, it is basically compute that's available um, as turnkey as you want. But it, it, as you say, most conversations really depend on what angle is going to be relevant to a particular project. And I would say that the hybrid cloud, which involves some of these other things, is probably the most predominant in the conversations that we have. And I think that's a, another point of confusion right there, because I think some customers or some people think hybrid cloud that, what does that actually mean? Does it mean I'm doing some of my computing on-prem and some computing in the cloud, or am I guess using services that are available on the cloud? What, what's the, what would be a proper definition of a hybrid cloud implementation? Well, see, that, that's, a great, that's a great point here. I think it's hard to really put down that definition. I would consider it to be hybrid cloud would be someone that is running um, a premise-based operation, usually from what we see like their production or source type system. And then they are leveraging a cloud partner in some fashion to provide a secondary landing. And, and they'll do it for different reasons. They might wanna have um, a system that is available at a, a further away point, so not on the same grid. They might wanna have extra hands available um, in the event of a disaster, that's what we see. Particularly with COVID, you know, they wanna make sure that, look, if there's like a, a major outbreak locally, they might have other people available. So. I would see hybrid cloud as being just an, an extension of having production on, on premise and then going out beyond. Now, that comes in all kinds of flavors and directions too. We have customers that use um, localized uh, systems for high availability in, in DR, but they might replicate out to an additional remote system, which could also be considered hybrid cloud. 
So I, I think at the, at the core of it, it has to do with the fact that, you know, part of the workload, usually production is going to still be based within the company, but that the other platforms or applications might be hosted on a remote system. The remote system being the, the cloud system. The cloud system. Even within the systems in the cloud, then there's a, a, a sub-discussion, I suppose, and that's, is it a public cloud or a private cloud? I mean, I guess by pure definition of those two terms, I can kind of discern what that means, but why don't you just elaborate on that? You know, what is a pure private cloud to me? I think to most customers, a, a private cloud means that they're essentially getting a dedicated um, partition that is being hosted by a partner on you know one of these cloud services that is purely um, for them. So the security parameters, nobody else can get onto that box. Um, and they're probably paying a premium to have that luxury. Whereas some of the, the public clouds, they might share information. So they might have um, an, an application might be hosted on one of these cloud systems that multiple um, clients can get to, or maybe they have a shared environment. So there's one partition, um, but the partner is running multiple customer workloads on there. I've, I've seen that plenty of times as well. And usually that, that fits into the mold of maybe like a more of an application provider to say, okay, well, these customers are all within a particular application bundle depending on what their security and insurance requirements are, they might want to decide whether they need the hardened security and dedication and, and privacy of a dedicated system versus a shared system. John, what are you seeing out there right now as far as momentum? Is uh, are, Do you see a bigger push right now or a bigger migration to these, to a cloud, you know, be, be it hybrid or full cloud? Do you see a bigger push towards that right now? Yeah, I, I would say absolutely. There has been a huge ramp up in, in cloud over the last few years. And it comes in like different configurations. Like I said before, it might not be, we have customers that originally would have been like completely prem-based. Um, they're now starting to get into um, the hybrid cloud. We have a number of our partners that provide that as a service, which just keeps going up and up. And I think that those two things kind of go together. I think because there is, is such a, a resource challenge of expertise on the platform um, that, you know, the, the general IBMI admin or user needs that additional support. And one of the easiest places to get it is by having a service provider. Well, if the service provider is providing DR and application support, if they can include the management of the hardware as well, it just makes it that much easier and one less thing that the local admin who's already time squeezed has to do. So I think part of the reason that cloud is just getting more and more relevant is not the traditional you know, regional separation. I think COVID had, has had a lot to do with that. I think the ability to have extra hands and having people work from home and getting the systems that are, are, are more disparate is important. But I think that a, a huge driver is basically offloading a lot of the, the workload and the time that goes into buying and managing additional systems. So it absolutely a humongous uptick um, year upon year on what we would consider like hybrid cloud or whole, fully hosted environments. So those are all very interesting points. I find what you said about reasons, you know, good metrics of why I would want to consider a cloud solution in any form, be it hybrid or full, you know, fully hosted, whatever the case is. But 
what are some other metrics or some decision points that I typically would go through if I was looking at an algorithm to decide if I want to make this move or take this step? What are the decisions or other benefits can you see that why somebody would want to go down this path? Yeah, I think that the, the main drivers are going to be in different camps. A lot of uh, IBM clients, particularly like the SMBs, I think are coming to the, the cloud for the first time as an extension for um, resiliency. You know, again, COVID and, and all the stuff is really driving that. And I think for those customers, there's particular areas that they're looking at. Um, number one, a lot of this is driven by risk and insurance. We're seeing a, a large number of customers who are really trying to leverage cloud for the purposes of meeting insurance requirements. And, and what I mean by that is that it, there's definitely like a, a tightening up within the industry to say, to get the best premium coverage and the best premium rates, you really need to have a, a, a continuity or resiliency plan that's active. And, and that means if something happens to your primary production, can you be running live as quickly as possible? So while traditionally you might've just looked at downtime as being an operational thing, what, what I'm finding is there's a lot of like risk management teams um, within uh, our client base and our partner base who are looking at trying to lower that premium. And, and part of the reason they're doing that is because premiums don't cover, your, your insurance does not cover all of your losses. Um, we see lots of things out there like you know from Garden Reports and Forrester and whatnot that the coverage of a loss is sometimes around maybe 40%. So the companies look at it and say, okay, I, I have two victories here. Number one, I can get a better premium for better coverage, but I have to do that because I know I'm not going to cover the gap if we have an incident. And everybody has incidents. There's nobody that doesn't have an incident at some point. So that that's kind of a big driver, I think, for many of the um, particularly the SMB customers now in the, in the wake of COVID in the last couple of years, they're looking at, at spreading out that risk, trying to get the best coverage possible in case there's a, um, a, an outage or, or, or an unplanned uh, problem. But the other thing I think we would see is we have a lot of um, vendors that are trying to extend to different territories. And, and what I mean by that is that you know, there, there's a big population of customers that I'll use the Caribbean as our classic example. They run um, a good, uh, a big source machine on the island. They'll have a, an active target that they can flip between the two. However, the problem is if a storm comes in, obviously both systems go down if, if electrical is down. Now, eight years ago, that wasn't a big problem because when the island was down, there was no business to be done. But now you're starting to see with like banks and insurance companies, they're doing business on other islands as well. So while a company might be in you know, Barbados as an example, you know, when Barbados was down and a local customer couldn't go into a retail shop, it wasn't a problem. But now that you're seeing business coming across to Canada and the States and other Caribbean islands, those businesses have to be up. So they look at cloud now as like a, a worst case scenario option. We would call that like a multi-node environment. And the goal would be, not only would they have their local DR and availability going on island, they would have an additional sitting system sitting someplace else, the IBM cloud and Azure cloud or a partner cloud. And in the event where the local island was down, they still have the ability to run at a secondary location. 
again, COVID also has a factor. When we get into some of these lockdowns, like we're seeing really hard in um, the Asia Pacific, still need some way to be able to manage the systems and have it running remotely. So having that regional distance fits in in new ways that it didn't before. And I think is really driving what people are looking at when, when they're looking at leveraging that cloud. It's, it solves multiple problems. You know, John, you, bring, you brought up a, a lot of uh, information in that, in that reply. And I, 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 want, I, I want to break that down to two different things because this is another area of maybe not confusion, but certainly a, a, an area where people use these two terms interchangeably. And that's really HA, high availability, and, and DR, disaster recovery. And I, and anytime I have a conversation with anybody, these terms are just kicked around as if it's one thing, but they, those are two distinct disciplines or two, two distinct events, right? HA is, well, you tell me, you know, how do you view HA versus DR? And, and also, why do you think that there's a confusion that people use them interchangeably? You know, <laughs> I know as we, we see this all, all the time. I think everyone sees HA as falling under DR as a, a broad scope. But to me, the difference is when we're talking about HA or high availability, that just means that the data is continuously available. So if you have an outage, your, your data is available and accessible immediately elsewhere. Whereas DR would be like um, the traditional technology of like a, a tape or maybe even a vault, um, although a vault is kind of in, in the middle, um, in, in my opinion. So a tape might be, look, we have to restore some data. It's going to take a few hours before, um, maybe a few days before the system is available. And, and that's a difference. And, and to your point, Charlie, that kind of goes back to the insurance thing. What, what we're finding is that traditionally just having quote unquote DR was enough to get you you know, decent coverages for these type of things. But now with business interruption insurance, um, in particular, like the, the threat of ransomware and all this stuff, having continuously available um, data and applications is critical. And that is firmly in the HA camp as far as we're concerned. And, and that, you know, again, might be an unplanned outage, could be whatever, DR is more of a, a, I would say, like a traditional restore. This is about having information available all the time. And even as an example, you know, when customers are migrating between systems, most of them do um, like a migrate while active or migrate live. And that just means that while they're bringing in a new system and getting it up to speed, they want to keep um, availability going until that cutover point. So is not just in, in 10 years ago, you just would have saved the tape, put it on a new box, got everything going over weekend. That just doesn't happen much anymore. Customers need to be available full-time and, and the, the risk in insurance is, is usually the main driver. And you know, I, I can tell you just from, from our own customers, once you have another partition beat in, the, in, the, in this case in the cloud, th that machine is capable of doing so much more than just sitting there idly collecting data all day long. We, we, um, we are able to use that, that cloud system, for example, to do analysis on the data. You know, we, we're querying that database versus the production database. We find that it, it makes it's, it's a better use of resources by using that data because it's, it's, it's as current as production, yet it, it, it gives us an, an, an opportunity to repurpose that data at the same time. Uh, what else are you seeing? Any other ways that that data might be useful to me in, in a shop other than just being there to be on the ready to be our next production machine in the event, in the event of an accident or a problem, I should say? 
so that that's a good example. Um, we have a number of customers that essentially run BI off the target because they obviously don't want to impact the production workload. And, and some of those tools can be real hogs. So that's exactly what they do. Because you have a real-time environment on this um, target system that's continuously available, not only could you run um, those types of tools across there, but you can do other things as well. Like you could run um, backups off the target as well because the target is obviously up to date. And that shrinks the window that a system is traditionally unavailable, you know, during night when you're doing the save. So it opens up the opportunity to have a more 24 by seven availability to the application than you would if you just had um, a primary source system. To say running BI tools off the target system is definitely a growing piece. I see lots of partners getting into that um, business as like an expansion of trying to reduce the workload. Because as you say, the backup system is going to be much quieter. It makes way more sense to take up CPU on that than it does on production to run these type of analysis tools, but doing it off peak. So there's another interesting uh, paradigm that we need to talk about, and that is the idea of a role swap. I know this is not a a one and done type situation. You typically don't go to, you know, you don't set up this whole environment and, and then forget about it. You need to test the, vi uh, the vitality of the system on some kind of schedule. What are you seeing as far as that's concerned? What, what do you recommend as a good schedule or does it depend on the industry or you know, in, inherent regulations? What do you see in, as far as that from, from doing role swap, things like that? You know, that, that's a good question. I, I think a lot of customers that come to us the main reason they come is because they have tried HA in the past, but they use it more like a disaster recovery. And by that, I mean, they don't switch environments and they, they haven't tested it. But the point of having something continuously available, and, and this is where things start to get back into that insurance realm again. I, I think traditionally it was a tick in the box to say, look, we have a high availability um, software for this system in, in our application. And from an insurance perspective, they never checked to make sure it was in use. And now we're starting to see that customers have to essentially provide a, a live DR exercise or a test or requirement to meet those regulations. So we're seeing it more and more. Now we have lots of customers that swap like quarterly, like they continue to just swap between systems quarter upon quarter. I think most strive to do at least one um, system change or at least a successful test a year as a minimum, uh, but a lot of that's driven by internal risk too. Uh, and I, I would say, you know, one other thing to add into that is we talked to a lot of customers and it just drives me bonkers to say, yep, we had a um, DR test and it was successful. We spent a month getting ready for it. Well, the whole point of having something available in the event of a disaster is that it is available without setting it up for four months to be successful. Um, so, you know, from our company standpoint, you need to be able to provide something that if, if it's highly available, it's, you know, it, it has all the bells and whistles to make sure that it can be highly available at any time, not when you've gone through the trouble of making sure you have a successful test. I think that auditors are getting very wise to that scenario. Um, and that is driving, again, back to that cloud business. I think seeing the resource it takes to make that successful sort of makes the case to have a, a cloud specialist or a disaster recovery as a service specialist come in and provide that on top. Right, certainly. And of, and of, of course, the famous, uh, 
the famous saying that I that I'm well aware of is if you don't test your backup strategy, you don't have a backup strategy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's you know a lot of these things. You would say ten years ago, you know, having tape by itself, right? The traditional backup was good enough, and it was hardware. You know, it it, it wasn't a problem. You could really leverage off that, and it still works. I mean, most customers still use that to do little restores and whatever. It hasn't become completely obsolete, I think, by any means. But the business driver is definitely more about the application availability in an event. And that is what, if somebody is coming to us, that is usually why. They have to meet these requirements. They want to get the good premiums. They're trying to reduce that any outage window as much as possible because they have, they've already calculated out what the potential loss is. They're just trying to keep it to the absolute minimum. And certainly... You said it also. Application uptime. You know, it's a changed world. You know, we're on the web now. Customers. You know, you're, there's no. You know, the, the the doors don't close. You know, nine to five or what. There's no set hours for business anymore. So we need to have the application up as much as possible. No, and the customer is getting on social media to talk about uh, how long the system and, and service has been an unavailable is is a brand killer. So you know, it is really on the, the bigger companies to have that uptime because. They're touching customers all around the world now. Um, and those customers have a very strong voice when a service is not available. John, one thing we didn't touch on, and uh, I guess maybe it's just assumed or it's baked into the equation, that is just security. I know that's a big a big point that people have some reservations about. How secure is my data in the cloud? And I've heard some people argue that it's even safer in the cloud than it is on-prem. <laughs> well, you know what? I mean, that, that could be a very good argument. I have seen, yeah, I, I've seen environments, I'm sure we all have, where having this through a hardened IBM data center or something like that, or, or you know, a, a disaster recovery specialist, obviously they're taking the measures that particularly an SMB is just not going to take to secure that business. So I really don't see that as a threat. I mean, what business isn't already giving customers access to you know, Wi-Fi networks and so forth. And, and, and to your point, Charlie, you know, there's two kind of two classes of insurance that kind of come in here again. And I know I'm, I'm hitting the insurance, but it's just something that just keeps coming up in every conversation in the last year and a half is that you know, there's cybersecurity insurance and there's um, business interruption insurance and, and disaster recovery and high availability actually play into both. Sometimes it might not be completely logical from the cybersecurity event, but again, insurance is all about you providing some proof that you're going to minimize the loss as much as possible. So even if it's a ransomware where, you know, it's not a simple failover as a solution, still having that to reduce, you know, the potential loss there is still a big factor, whether it's a direct factor or not. So I think that's why we're seeing so much more of it because, you know, cybersecurity is becoming, a, you know, just growing and growing and growing, but it means so many different things to different people, just like cloud does, like we were talking about earlier, uh, that, you know, th there are just so many factors to it. And, and availability is part of it, right? You can have an event, but the event still ties back to whether your service is available or not. So the things are, are while I would say they're different, they're still inextricably linked together. You know, if I look at the roadmap, John, for cloud migration, uh, the application developers are not, not off the hook here. This is not done in a vacuum. I mean, there's, there needs to be some consideration to the application itself, I think, to 
have continuous availability for an application. It, it, uh, the way you have some batch processes, for example, for day end, for example, you need to really examine those. What have you seen? What have you seen in, in that regard? Because some processes that were previously dedicated, now you need to change them so that they don't require a lockdown, a lockdown of the system. So what have you seen in that regard? Yeah, I think there, there is definitely like, and I'll swing over to monitoring here, you know, from like an API and connectivity standpoint, I think there are lots of new things happening here. You know, when we look at what would traditionally be monitoring like an availability, you're really looking at a much more extended network, you know, the EDI, other pieces of the application. So having the ability to basically look and provide APIs out so that you can interconnect things from, you know, monitoring platforms like ServiceNow, um, back to things like we do and in, in high availability, there is an openness to it. But I think you could say, well, is that a risk? Well, I don't know. On this platform where you need the expertise and resource available immediately, you have to have some interchange and, and openness of ideas. So I really don't think that's a negative. I think it's actually a necessity. Absolutely. John, I'll tell you what, we've been, uh, we've been chatting for quite some time on this already. And this is, this to me is such a fascinating topic because it, um, it really, it really could change how a company runs their IT infrastructure. It, it is, a, it could be a, a huge change. And I think people need to really consider this as, as an option, certainly. And I think this, this podcast and your, your sharing your knowledge is, is a very good starting point. There's a lot of good points that you brought up here. I, I do encourage people to, um, to, you know, to read more about this. It's, certain, it's certainly worth, worth looking at. So I, I want to thank you, John, for your time here today. We've been talking, holy cow, almost 30 minutes. And, did, and that was the <laughs> fastest 30 minutes I've ever spoken or I've, I've, I've spent, I should say. So I want to thank you very much for your time, John. Again, John is the global, global VP of Maxiva in their U.S. headquarters. And um, John, thank you very much. It was a pleasure chatting with you as always. Anytime, Charlie. Thank you. Terrific. And for everybody else who listened to this podcast, please make sure you check out Tech Channel and their other great offerings. They have lots of educational um, podcasts and webcasts, and it's really worth your time visiting them. So thank you very much. This is Charlie Guarino. Everybody, it's been a pleasure, and I'm looking forward to speaking with you again next month. Bye now.